Hey, everybody, it's me, Erica. And Rachel. And this is Story Crime. Happy first day of summer, Erica. Yay! It's finally here, and it is a fucking hot one, and I am currently in a tent in my bedroom to have air conditioning, because we don't have central air, so we just have two massive units in the living room and the bedroom. So if you guys can hear it revving on and off, it's... Deal with it, because it's hot. It's it's necessary (laughs) with the 39-degree weather we're having right now. Summer's coming in with a bang. We're in Canada, so like this is proof right now for you guys that don't know anything about Canada. It's not snowflakes and skiing all year round. It is hot as balls here right now. (laughs) She's a hot one. Oh man! So, but yeah, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. But I hope you guys Mm -hmm. are excited for part two of Sid and Nancy. I know I am excited. It's been my little escape. It's been crazy at work because I. Think I've mentioned this before, but I work in kindergarten, so my little babies are all. Um, I was kind of saying this to you before, Rachel, before we started recording, but it's like they they don't understand and they can't like process that's what summer vacation means that they're going to be off, but they know something's changing. So mm-hmm. they're they're so wild because like subconsciously they have a problem with change, much like me. And um, they, um, so they're so wild and they're all like busy, 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 and they won't stop talking. But then at the same time, they're also, this is like such a great time of year because they're so cuddly and affectionate too at the same time. Because again, they subconsciously know that something's changing. They probably aren't going to see us for a while. So they just all want to be cuddled and, you know, snuggled and held and hold your hand. You're like, like, it's too hot. Get the fuck off me. sometimes sometimes we just like sometimes you know what i feel like i need a hug too and i just love it so we all love these little baby hugs my god and i am you know what this has been a wild year for me there there was a lot of stuff happening i won't go into detail but a lot of stuff happening between work and home and and a lot of changes and stuff like that but um I'm really going to miss these guys this year. I feel like we've been through a lot together. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) returning after COVID, that's like, that's a big deal. You know what? This is the first time since 2019, June 2019, that we're finishing off the year in school. Yeah. So two, two years, three, almost three years since the last time we finished off the year in school. You had to have a big party. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like it's just winding down and getting ready for that summer vacation oh, can't, can't wait more happy yes a week and a half left not even I'm so excited yeah. <laughs> and we've got like big plans coming up for summer so i'm really i feel like i've been booked all summer long already and most of it's been by you so my rob, honor <laughs> rob won't get to see me at all this summer because <laughs> i'm going to be away with you <laughs> sorry rob <laughs> uh, anyways you said you wanted to talk about a show what's the um, show you're gonna tell me about yes so i've recently discovered the greatest wait, show wait. on earth is it iron chef legends because it I, is not I, side note before you get going 
Did you know I've never heard of Iron Chef before? And I just started watching it on Netflix. I have never heard of it. Really? Rob was like, where? He's like, that rock you're living under must be huge. Yeah, like, like I swear it's been around for at least 15 years. Like, it's not new. I've never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. We started watching, Rob started watching it the other day. And then we just like blew through it. I was like, I love this show. And there's all different spinoffs of it too, I'm pretty sure. But uh, they were like popping caviar in their mouth like it was Ew. a penny candy. Yeah, That's but gross. like I was looking into like trying some caviar after watching the show. I was like, I want to try some caviar. You have and a caviar budget on a eggs of chicken, <laughs> chicken egg <laughs> budget. What are you Wait, talking no, about? Caviar taste. <laughs> I fucked that up. <laughs> you have a caviar, have a caviar taste, taste on like a chicken just egg regular budget. fucking chicken egg budget. Yeah. <laughs> These days, although those three, are expensive now too. I was going to say at three fifty nine a dozen, I I almost can't even afford those. <laughs> like, what is happening? What is happening? No. It's anyway, terrible. sorry to interject. Go ahead and tell me about your show. Yeah, so it's pretty much the greatest show ever. Um, as you know, I'm addicted to reality, and yeah. I am also addicted to reality dating shows. And so this is on Crave, and it's called F Boy Island. And yes, it is as great as it sounds. It is. I think I've heard of it, but I, I want to hear more from you. I want to hear the full Oh, my God. So it's like these three girls go on the show to find love, the yada, yada, yada. And then when uh, then they have 12 nice guys join the show and 12 self-proclaimed fuck boys on the show and they have to date them all and see and pick which one you know if they can tell who's the fuck boy who's the nice guy and then they get to pick at the end if there's a fuck boy uh like either the fuck boy or the nice guy that they fall in love with uh air quotes and then there's also like a hundred thousand dollar cash reward at the end that the fuck boys are going for so they're trying to trick the woman that or the women that they love them in order for them to pick them but they really just want the money and Honestly, it is the best because the women don't take no shit from no fuck boy and they say it like they're like you do you have no power here, you little fuck boy. Like, oh my god, it but, is sorry, amazing. So sorry, the women don't know who the fuck boys are though. Uh, I don't want to spoil too like I don't want to spoil it for anybody who wants to watch it, but um they you like for the most part they don't know. And, and uh, they just treat everyone as though they're a fuckboy, I hope. Well, like, you can, I mean, <laughs> you can tell who's, like, even we don't know for the most part who the fuckboys are, but, like, yeah. it, there's there's some clear indications. I mean, you can smell a fuckboy from across the room. <laughs> but <laughs> it's hosted by uh, Nikki Glazier, and, like, she's hilarious. Oh, I love Nikki Glazier. Oh, so good. Yeah, it's so good. I don't want it to oh. end. Thankfully, there's season two is coming out in like three weeks. Love it. So exciting. Love it. Love yeah. it. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if anyone watches it, um, please feel free to DM me and we will discuss it because I am obsessed. <laughs> and also, we are not being sponsored by Crave to promote the show. But if they want to, <laughs> please email us at storycrimepod at gmail.com. We will gladly happily- take donations. Yeah, we will happily <laughs> promote your show, Scrape TV. <laughs> I haven't really, besides Iron Chef, we haven't really been into anything. We've been watching Obi Wan. That's good, and Ms. Marvel just came out. That's really good. So okay, well now you need to watch F Boy Island, and you need to get back to me on that one. 
because that's the same as Obi-Wan and Miss Marvel, but sure. <laughs> I will give Our it a shot. Our different tastes are speaking volumes right now. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. Oh, geez. All right, everybody. With that note, we are going to get into this week's episode, the epic conclusion to Sid and Nancy that I hope you're all excited for. Um, I can't wait. I think we left off with Nancy being murdered and Sid Mm -hmm. uh, passing away about four months later. And even though the case was closed at that time, there was still a lot more to kind of come out after that. And um, yeah, so we're going to get into it. We're going to start by talking a little bit more in detail about Sid and Nancy's time after the Sex Pistols broke up and Sid was kind of branching Mm -hmm. off on his own. So after their final show in the Sex Pistols final show in San Francisco, Malcolm McLaren, Steve Jones and Paul Cook. So Steve Jones was the guitarist and Paul Cook was the drummer. Malcolm McLaren, Mm -hmm. of course, the manager. Um, They would fly to Rio for a vacation and start filming McLaren's documentary on the creation of the Sex Pistols, which he called the Great Rock and Roll Swindle. Not a bad album. Has some good bops on it. It's a pretty good title, too. I like that. Yeah. Fun fact about that movie. Ronnie Biggs, who I know you you instantly recognize that name, I bet, Rachel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not at all. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Um, Not a single bit. No. So Ronnie Biggs, who, according to Wikipedia, was an English criminal who helped plan and carry out the Great Train Robbery of 1963. Now oh. the great yeah so the great train robbery was the robbery of uh 2.6 million pounds just a little bit of pocket change from a royal main or sorry a royal mail train headed from glasgow to london that's some like wild wild west shit yeah um so he subsequently became notorious for the escape for his escape from prison in 1965 and he would live as a fugitive for 36 years 36 years they couldn't find this guy well he left the country so for Mm. he was also known for his various publicity stunts while in exile Mm. now one of these publicity stunts was having a small role in the great rock and roll swindle ronnie biggs would record a song for the movie with jones and cook while they were down in rio because that's where he was at the time obviously ballsy motherfucker Obviously wasn't hiding that well, but they probably just couldn't be having a hard time getting him back from Rio, I would imagine. Mm. I don't really have much more information about Ronnie Biggs other than he he committed that robbery and then was in this movie. So maybe one day we'll cover him. Who knows? (laughs) All right. Um, So for the great rock and roll swindle, uh, swindle, John Lydon or Johnny Rotten, he didn't participate at all in the making of the film. Instead, he, the character of Johnny Rotten was played by an actor, and most of the vocals for the soundtrack were done by Malcolm McLaren, which you guys, <laughs> if you get a chance to listen to the soundtrack, like, it's comical. Like, it's funny. It's funny the way Trend. that he, yeah, I, I heard it. It's funny the way that <laughs> Malcolm McLaren tries to sound like Johnny Rotten. It, it doesn't entirely work, but what do I know? Uh, so <laughs> I'm not inter- entirely sure why Sid didn't go to Rio with the rest of the band, but on January 20th, 1978, Sid was flown to New York. While he was on the plane, he took a few too many Valium, washed them down mm-hmm. with some alcohol and 
went comatose on the plane. And according to reports, like flight attendants and other people on the plane were like putting ice cubes down his pants and like shaking him and throwing water in his face. And like, they could not wake this fucker up. Um, And he ended up in the hospital for four days after that flight. And the (gasps) doctor would tell him that if he didn't get clean and stop drinking, he would be dead in six months. Oh, damn. Yeah. Now, after being discharged from the hospital, Sid flew home to London, then traveled to Paris with Nancy to film the scene, like his part in the great rock and roll swindle. Um, And Mm -hmm. uh, one of his parts was singing a cover of My Way by Frank Sinatra, which would end up being one of his like bigger, more well-known almost solo pieces or really uh, songs as like the lead singer of the Sex Pistols, I guess. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. It's not a bad tune. I mean, check it out. You probably wouldn't like it at all, but it's not bad. Uh, oh, I so like Sid- the, the Frank Sinatra version, so maybe. Maybe, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Sid often refused to take place in filming, um, preferring instead to stay in the hotel with Nancy, just doing drugs all day. Now, after leaving the Sex Pistols, if you remember Glenn Matlock, who was the original bassist, Mm-hmm. remember the basis left so sid yeah. and glenn surprisingly they stayed friends after glenn left the band and after filming the mockumentary in paris sid and nancy returned to england and reunited with glenn who had since formed the band uh a band called rich kids after leaving the sex pistols and mm-hmm. they did a show together with steve new and rat scabies from the white cats so this is where vicious cool. white so they would call the band vicious white kids sid vicious hmm. white cats rich kids makes sense cool uh sid would be the singer and there were um during the show nancy would sing backup i say in air quotes because they actually would unplug her mic and just let her be on stage singing (laughs) to an unplugged mic that's rude (laughs) as hell (laughs) Uh, they titled the show sid sods off and it took place on august 15th 1978 at the electric ballroom in london it was somewhat of a farewell concert before Sid and Nancy were set to leave for New York. People who were in, t- in attendance to the Vicious White Kids concert said of the performance that it was one of Sid's best that he had ever done. Well, good uh, for him. Yeah, which made it even more of a shame that he deteriorated so much in the months that followed mm-hmm. after. So mm-hmm. Sid would earn actually $12,000 from that show. And Glenn Matlock said in interviews that he didn't realize it was $12,000 dollars that they had actually earned from performing that night and when they asked how the money was going to be split up he said you know what let's just give all the money to sid because oh, they're no. going to new york he may as well this is his show he's leaving let's give it to him as a, he's like, it's a couple hundred bucks yeah <laughs> so he didn't realize he said in the interview he had no idea it was twelve thousand um, dollars dang so yeah and that would get them enough money to leave Europe and head to North America, which was good because around this time, Sid and Nancy started having drug-related legal problems. And Mm. to make matters worse, they there was a man whose name was John Shepcock, and he was a heroin addict and an acquaintance of Sid and Nancy. And he would OD in their London hotel room one night. And the two of them, they were so out of their mind on drugs that they didn't even realize he was dead until the next day. Like, (gasps) he was just there. So... The police and and the legal system was already on their back for other drug-related things, and they knew they had to get out of Dodge, and they quickly left for New York, right, like, shortly after the death of John Shepcock. Yeah, no doubt. Jesus. Now, when they got to New York, they thought that Sid's career would just skyrocket. Spoiler alert. 
they were wrong. Um, but they would, when they got there, they would move into the Chelsea Hotel, a place where Nancy was familiar with already, because when she lived in New York, she would go there a lot. She knew people who lived there. And they quickly fell in with a lot of, like, the lowlifes that frequented the hotel. Oh. So this is the part where I'm going to give you just, like, the teeniest, tiniest bit of background on the Chelsea Hotel. It's not very long, I promise. But just to give you an idea of, of where the location we're dealing with, because it does play a big role in this story, and it's an infamous place in New York anyways. So just in yeah. case anyone's interested, wanted to include it. I'm interested. <laughs> Go ahead. So the Chelsea Hotel is a legendary landmark in New York City. It was built between the years of 1883 and 1885, and it's located in the neighborhood of Chelsea in New York. Wow. It's located, actually, if you ever want to go there, at 222 West 23rd Street in Manhattan. So maybe we can go there when we go on our trip in the summer. We'll see. Yeah. Now, over the years, the hotel has been known as a hotspot for many actors, singers, writers, and has been home to notable artists that you'll know, such as Bob Dylan, Mark Twain, Mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe, Jimi Hendrix, Bette Midler, our girl, Janis Joplin, Stanley Kubrick, and this list could go on and on and on and on and on, and we'd be here until next Thursday recording if I tried to name everybody that has lived at this hotel. (laughs) Damn, it sounds like a happening place. Yes. So many films and television shows have also been filmed there, most notably the Andy Warhol, because Andy Warhol also lived there and would do a lot of work there, a lot of creative work there. Oh, um, he cool. made a film called Chelsea Girls in 1966, and that was filmed at the Chelsea Hotel. And, of course, the 1986 film Sid and Nancy, which starred Gary Oldman as Sid and Chloe Webb as Nancy. And we are going to talk more about that film later on, but that was also mm-hmm. filmed there. Okay. Cool. And I included this because I want this book in a bad way. But Didi Ramon of the Ramones, obviously, also wrote a book about the hotel entitled Chelsea Horror Hotel, a novel. And (laughs) (laughs) I love this description. And I had to include it in here. It really has nothing to do with the rest of this story. But I just really liked the description of this book. So I hope everybody like me wants to read this book after. Um, Mm -hmm. So according to the description on Amazon, it says... Didi Ramon doesn't quite know what he's getting himself into when he and his wife, Barbara, move into the Chelsea Hotel with their dog, Banfield. The room he's staying in might be the very room where his old friend, Sid, stabbed Nancy. Didi spends, yeah. Didi spends most of his time trying to score drugs and walking Banfield with whom he can magically communicate. Okay, from those drugs, I'm sure. (laughs) Meanwhile, he can't stand his neighbors, and though he shies away from violence, he wishes everyone were six feet under. Didi, mm. man. Didi gets involved with the transvestite lover of one of his gay fellow addicts. When Barbara finds out, things get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Well, and all the while, Didi is tormented by the living and dead demons that plague the hotel, along with the ghost of his old dead punk friends, Sid Vicious, Johnny Thunders, and Stiv Baders. And that's when the devil himself decides to join the party. Oh, excuse me. I don't want to read this Who the fuck invited Lucifer? Now, Dee Dee died just four months after the book was was released of a drug overdose. And I'm not sure if this book is fiction or nonfiction. (laughs) Quite honestly, it sounds amazing. I understand why you want to read it. 
I want to read it big time. Now, so sadly, like I said, he did die just four months after the book was released of a heroin overdose. And like Mm -hmm. I said, I only mentioned this book as a reminder to myself to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Also not sponsored by this book, but please, everyone, or if you have read this book, can you please tell me because I need to read it. Can she borrow your copy? Yeah. Could you guys just mail it to me? Email me a scanned copy. Uh, now, back to the Chelsea Hotel. A little more history. Mm. According to HowStuffWorks.com, the Chelsea Hotel was initially built by Philip Hubert as an affordable artist cooperative. Hubert wanted to build a place where people from varied backgrounds and lifestyles would feel safe in sharing their lives in the spirit of collaboration. So that's why a lot of uh, creative types stayed there and lived there over the years is because that's what mm-hmm. the hotel was originally intended to be. It was a place where they could come and do whatever their creative art work was so let their freak flag fly yeah there was a story that dylan thomas the writer um would write and drink and write and drink until finally one day he just died at the hotel because he was so drunk oh drank himself to death you can do that i mean Hmm. liver failure and cirrhosis Oh, so like over time, like oh yeah, one like okay. yeah, no, no, no. It wasn't like over one night where he just drank and rode, drank and rode. like it was over years. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that's exactly what the Chelsea Hotel was for a really long time. It was a place where artists could come together. Now the hotel was owned and operated by the Bard family between the 1930s until the mid 2000s, and they were known for letting struggling artists stay there for very low rent and sometimes for free, and they would like exchange artwork as rent with the the artists that stayed there. In the 1960s and 70s, the Chelsea was starting to fall into a little bit of disrepair, a lot of bit of disrepair, and it was becoming overrun with the likes of addicts, drug dealers, and other less desirable members of society. But even so, you could still find a variety of artists and performers roaming the halls at any given time, and it was kind of a place where just anything goes, essentially. Hmm. So that's why a lot of people decided to stay there and this is exactly why sin and nancy chose to call the hotel home when they arrived in new york makes sense yeah so during their first week in new york sid would actually collapse in the lobby of the chelsea hotel and the couple at this point decided to try and get clean and they started a methadone program but sadly they both relapsed after just a few weeks and their drug addiction just mm-hmm. continued to get even worse from this point on oh damn Nancy would regularly call her regularly call her family for money, coming up with literally any excuse in the book to get it. And Sid would often speak to Nancy's mother and berate her on the phone, calling her a terrible person for not giving her her daughter for not giving her daughter money in her time of need, claiming that Nancy had medical issues. I think the one time it was a kidney problem or a really Mm -hmm. bad kidney infection. However, these medical issues didn't exist that just wasn't true and they just wanted money for drugs now they'll try anything right now in deborah spongen's book she did say that she offered to pay a doctor directly if nancy did in fact have a medical issue and this is kind of what made sid snap because it was obvious that Mm -hmm. this medical issue just didn't exist yeah and they wanted the money to buy more drugs yeah smart mama though yeah so Everyone in New York, in the New York punk scene anyways, they still really dislike Nancy at the time. Mm. Remember I told you that she, a lot of people did not yeah. like her. And unfortunately, yeah. And unfortunately, Sid's UK fame didn't really translate to the North American scene. And oh. with, uh, like I mentioned in the last episode, with Nancy as his new manager, 
it was going to be an uphill battle. Now, mm-hmm. when, when I called Nancy his manager, she was his manager just by, I don't know, appointing herself. But on paper, legally, Malcolm McLaren was still his manager. Okay. But they kind of just let Nancy do what she wanted. Um because it's it was easier less, that way. Yeah, it was less of a bother for Malcolm. And, you know, mm-hmm. so Nancy would arrange for Sid to do at least three gigs at Max's Kansas City, where he would walk away with about $4,000 per gig. So not a bad chunk of hey, change. Not bad at all. However, at the first of these uh, three gigs that he did there, he was so wasted before the show that he couldn't even stand up, let alone perform. And it was a total buzz performance wise on his part. Shit. That being said, they were still paid. So that's nice. These people, it's they, totally punk. <laughs> they're getting lucky with still getting paid. And apparently mm. the other two shows that uh, he played weren't as bad as the first one, but they still weren't great, but they weren't as bad. So, you know, and um, give him credit, yeah. I guess, where credit is due. And also at this time, Sid was also receiving royalties from his cover of My Way by Frank Sinatra. So they had like quite a bit of money coming into them at the time, coming to them at the time. Sorry. Yeah, that's but, good. Unfortunately, most of this money that they would make from Sid's live shows and the royalties from My Way would go directly into their arms, which would in turn create an even more hostile environment where their relationship was concerned as it generally does in these cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Sid and Nancy's relationship had started to take a really dark turn. And despite their devotion to one another, things could get pretty violent between them, especially during an argument. Now, Nancy did eventually confess to her mother that Sid was in fact abusing her. Mm. She told her that Sid was both verbally and physically abusive. And according... Oh, no. Uh, according to Nancy, during one altercation while they were still living in London, Nancy said that Sid beat her, broke her nose, and during that fight, her ear was somehow torn off. What? Wait, what? Yeah. So mostly Like Mike Tyson off. style? Not full torn off, I don't think, but it was like torn, like it it wasn't connected to the, like it wasn't full, uh, like it uh, had come off her head, uh, but it, like the back was torn off, basically. Uh, that's gross and sounds extremely painful. So this happened when they were still living in London. And initially, Nancy had told her mother that someone else had jumped, like her and Sid had gotten in a fight at a party or at a show or something, and, mm-hmm. and at some other people had jumped them. And it happened during that altercation, but she did confess that it was Sid who did it to her mom. Mm. Other friends and acquaintances would also come forward later after Nancy's death and admit that the couple could be really violent with each other during the fights that they had. Uh, and violent, the violence would be coming from both parties in those cases. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Sid and Nancy would continue to spiral into their world of addiction. When they first moved into the Chelsea Hotel, they once fell asleep with a lit cigarette in their hand and their mattress caught on fire. Oh, not good. Bank getting their deposit back. After this incident, the hotel manager would then move them to room 100 on the second floor of the hotel so they could keep a closer eye on the couple. Smart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, according to Nancy's mother, on October 8th, 1978, Nancy called to tell her that the abuse from Sid had started once again since coming to New York. She said Sid was depressed all the time and then he, uh, because he wasn't as successful as he thought he was going to be in North America, and he was starting to take it out on Nancy. Nancy also asked her mother if she could help them get into a drug rehab center that 
Nancy knew that a family friend had gone to. So she wanted to see if her mom could call and, and try to get her and sit in there because she knew they needed in. Um, Good. And Deborah said in her book that during this particular phone call, Nancy sounded more clear headed than she had sounded in a very long time. Almost like she knew her life had like literally gone to shit and things were only going to get worse if she didn't take mm-hmm. some kind of step to get better. So Deborah did call the center, but unfortunately, the person who was doing intake was away on vacation and wouldn't be back until later that week. No way. There was no one else to take her place. Right. On October 10th, 1978, just two days before Nancy's murder, Nancy would go shopping with friends in Times Square and buy Sid a knife, which Sid would show off to acquaintances at the Chelsea Hotel the night of the murder. It was just a small Mm -hmm. little pocket knife. Okay. So this takes us to October 12th, 1978. So this is where things got a little weird while researching for me because October 12th, 1978 seems to be remembered by different people in many, many different ways. So bear (laughs) with me. I've tried to piece something together that's cohesive. And it's a very, very, you would think, because when I started researching this, I was like, well, this is going to be easy. Like, everybody knows <laughs> this story, so, like, there's got to be information out there. It's going to be easy to find. I was very wrong, yeah. as I often am. <laughs> and this was very difficult because there are, like I said, a lot of people remembering a lot of different things and claiming a lot of different things. So I've tried to piece something coherent together based on various different sources. And mm-hmm. if anybody has different um, timelines and would like to share them with me, I'm all ears. Because, like I said, this is very difficult to piece together. So, October 12th, 1978. Sid and Nancy would go to a man named Neon Leon's room at the Chelsea Hotel. And this was before... Pause. Pause everything. His name is Neon Leon. Neon Leon. Sure. I'm sure it's a stage name. I know, and I love it. That is the best neon Leon. If, yep. it's, if it's not a stage name, I want to meet his parents. I want to know. I want to know their life. Yeah. So they would go to his room, according to Neon Leon himself, before 12 a.m. Not sure mm-hmm. how long before 12 a.m., but it was before 12 a.m. Could be when 4 they, p.m., could be 8 p.m., before could, 12 a.m. It could have been, <laughs> you know, 10 a.m. Yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> the day before. But it was before 12 a.m. Nancy would bring with her a portfolio of press clippings of Sid's career. Mm-hmm. And Leon stated in interviews that they both seemed depressed as they went through, not like depressed, like sobbing or crying or anything like that, but just kind of like, uh, remembering the good old days. They were kind of mm-hmm. reminiscing about the time they'd spent. And reflecting on it basically okay according to leon they left his neon, room leon neon leon they left his room before 12 30 a.m so they were in there sometime before 12 a.m and left sometime before 12 30 a.m and headed <laughs> okay, back great. and they were headed back to room 100 now a man named victor calicchio who was also a resident that at the chelsea hotel claims he visited the couple at around 12.30 a.m. They mm-hmm. told him they were looking for something to relax with. Mm-hmm. Now, they were unable to find heroin that particular night because there had been a huge drug bust in, I think, Harlem, and everybody was drunk. Like, nobody had anything. 
So they were basically on the hunt for anything to get themselves a fix. Many sources say that several visitors to the room saw Sid take as many as 30 tablets of tuanol, which is like a very potent drug, sometimes used for cancer treatment, which is a far larger dose of the barbiturate than most of us could survive. Okay. And it would be certain to put you into a deep state of unconsciousness for hours. Wow. 30 tabs. That's why I imagine it's like a two to four tab dose. The fact that he didn't. Yeah. The fact that he didn't die that night, I don't understand. So now at around 1.30 a.m., Nancy called Sid's bodyguard and drug dealer, a man named Michael Mora. Now, Mora Hmm. at the time went by the name Rockets Red Glare. Yes. Yes, Mr. Red Glare. And the Rockets Red Glare. Oh, God. (laughs) I know. I know. You're Canadian. I knew you weren't going to get it because you're Canadian. It took me a while after like researching this for a while. All of a sudden it hit me when I was reading the name. And the Rockets oh, Red I love that Glare. so much. Yeah. So that's, that's a good, name. that's a good drag name. <laughs> Rockets Red Glare. Oh yes. my God. Yes. Now, according to Alan Parker's book, Sid Vicious, Too Fast to Live, Nancy was looking to buy 40 Dilaudid off of Rockets. Ooh. Now, apparently Rockets had nowhere near that much of the drug, but showed up at the Chelsea Hotel that, I guess, early morning or evening. Yeah, it's definitely early morning at around 2 (laughs) a.m. with the little amount of drugs that he did have. Uh It was said that he stayed there until around 4 or 5 a.m. before leaving, promising Nancy that he would return with more drugs. Now, in most sources... It says that Sid was passed out from the two and all while Red Glare was in the room. But I don't know for um, sure. But as far as I could tell, Sid was already passed out. So he was essentially in there with a passed out Sid and Nancy. Okay. Looking for drugs. Got it. So mm-hmm. Nancy called Neon Leon at around 4 a.m. looking for a joint. Just a just a small little dube. Yeah. Just a doobie. Can you yeah. got a doobie? <laughs> In the documentary, Who Killed Nancy, Leon claimed that there was another voice in the background that wasn't Sid. Could it be Rocket's Mm. Red Flare? I don't know. Could be. At around 5.30 a.m., these people must not ever sleep. Because at 5.30 a.m., if you knocked on my door, I'd be like, who the fuck are you and why? But Well, I would hope they're on drugs at this point. uh, Yeah. So at around 5.30 a.m., Victor Colicchio returned to Nancy's room, allegedly to deliver drugs. In interviews, yeah. In interviews, he stated that Nancy apparently opened the door just a little bit, and he said he saw Sid passed out on the bed, but there was another man in the room with Nancy. He didn't specify Mm -hmm. who this man was. Again, could it have been Rocket's Red Glare? Could have been. Could have been. Some people speculate that it was actually a mystery man called Michael who had been spotted in the hotel, and we will talk more about him later, too. Mystery Michael. Got it. Mystery Michael. At around 6 a.m., Neon Leon claims he heard someone pounding on his door that sa- and then a sound that sounded like metal hitting the floor in the hallway. Mm-hmm. He heard some other sounds and then silence. He didn't answer the door because it's 6 a.m. and ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody yeah. answering the door at 6 a.m. Yeah. to no pounding. Yeah. 
Later, a friend who stopped by Leon's room noticed that there was some blood outside of his door. Oh, shit. Maybe he should answer the door. All right. So now we're getting mm-hmm. into the de- when Nancy was found murdered. Okay. Okay. This is what we just talked about is what we know leading up to her murder. Obviously, we don't know what happened or when she was murdered, but this is what happened in the morning. Okay. So we know that Sid was on drugs. He woke up mm-hmm. at around 10.30 a.m. the next morning, and he saw Nancy in the bathroom covered in blood sitting under the bathroom sink. And I, I'm not sure if you've seen the picture of the crime scene. It's kind of... I have not. The pictures are out there. It's like a well-known thing. So she's kind of slumped under the sink with one arm on the toilet, I think, and her head okay. down. Okay. Yeah, I can um, picture it. I've probably seen it then if I can picture it. You've probably seen it. Now, she was wearing matching black on underwear and had a single stab wound in her in her abdomen and i only mentioned the underwear mm. because that's all she was wearing in the bathroom right okay uh sid says that when he went in there she was still breathing so he don't freak out went to the methadone clinic to get methadone for the two of them and when he returned nancy had succumbed to her injury so he's like hey like hang tight girl i got you let me yeah. go get us some methadone Cool. cool that's cool. why i said don't uh don't freak out but he saw her stabbed in the bathroom she was covered in blood and he decided to go the only thing i can think of was that he was still out of his mind and wasn't sure what he was seeing still high. Or, yeah or was in some kind of shock and was like i don't know how to fucking deal with this i'm gonna need to go get some methadone so i don't go get some heroin yeah so now, the next point I was unclear on, but it would seem that Sid called the police, who then contacted the front desk of the Chelsea and told the receptionist that there was someone in room 100 that was critically injured and needed assistance. Why? No. She's just critically injured. She's not dead or nothing. She's just critically injured. But but I'd not call the parent. Anyways, like I said, I'm not 100% clear on this. Needless to say, a bellhop was sent to Sid and Nancy's room where Sid was discovered sitting on the edge of the bed in a complete fog. And of course, Nancy was dead under the sink. Now, Hmm. in crime scene photos, you can see that right in front of the door inside the room, there was a TV on a small table, like right inside the door, almost so that if you opened Mm -hmm. the door, you would hit the TV. Mm -hmm. There were also two mattresses in the room. One of them was on the floor. One of them was like on the bed frame. Mm-hmm. one of the mattresses had blood on it and the other one was the like the actual bed was the one that Sid had been sleeping on and it was unclear okay. if this I was unclear if this bed had any blood on it or not now on the carpet leading from the mattress on the floor there was an evident trail of blood drops like you could see almost mm-hmm. like blood footprints like walk to the bathroom yes and there was also a bloody handprint presumably Nancy's on the bathroom door frame okay Hmm. so it's like she walked to the bathroom had to lean and then continued mm-hmm. in the bathroom my gosh when the bellhop first saw said he was also covered in blood which i can imagine is probably because he i mean he did say he tried to wipe blood from the wound on nancy's abdomen and and that and he yeah. was probably trying to like he was probably freaking out he's probably like shaking her and trying to yeah. revive her yeah so he's gonna get blood on her yeah, yeah. for sure now Upon seeing the scene, of course, the bellhop would quickly notify the police. 
And by the time they arrived, Sid would actually be found wandering the halls of the Chelsea in a complete daze, claiming like he was just saying, I killed her. I killed her. Um, He said, I killed her. I'm a dirty dog. Now, Mm. here's the thing. He was in a complete daze. He was so out of his mind. He was probably in shock. And I imagine that I don't know if Sid Vicious killed Nancy Spungen. Okay. I wasn't there, Uh obviously. Nobody else was. If you were, can you please let us know? Because that would be an amazing twist to this story. (laughs) But I would imagine him walking around the hotel saying, I killed her, I'm a dirty dog, could be from the fact that he woke up, he was the only one there. He could have just assumed, Mm -hmm. like, I must have done it and I don't remember. Right? Especially in in a drugged up haze. Yes. So Detective Kilroy was the officer who would arrest Sid. Upon his initial questioning of Sid Vicious, it was clear to detectives that he was, like I said, completely out of his mind, whether that was from drugs from the night before or the complete shock of what was happening at the time. They knew that I would assume a combination of both. Yeah. And they knew that any information that they were to obtain from Sid in that particular moment would hold no weight in court because of the state that he was Mm -hmm. in. Now, Sid would go back and forth with his statements to police. One second, he would say that he couldn't have killed Nancy. He loved her so much, he would never hurt her. And then later, he would follow, confess to the murder, saying that he had an argument. I didn't mean to kill her. She treated me like shit. Wow. Now, he would ultimately recant any statement of proclaiming his guilt to the police. And he would maintain his innocence from this point forward. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So one important thing to remember is that the night that Nancy was murdered, Sid and Nancy had a lot of cash with them and they always kept it in a drawer in the room. And I'm talking like upwards of $20,000. Okay. And this has been been corroborated by several witnesses that had seen Nancy waving around this wad of cash in the lobby of the hotel. And she actually was like dropping $100 bills as she was walking through the lobby and people were walking Mm -hmm. behind her, like picking it up and handing it back to her. Picking it up, handing it back to her. And they were saying, like, Nancy, like, this is New York. You need to be careful. Like, you're going to get killed with this amount of money. So when investigators searched the room after Sid was removed, they found no money in the room. The Uh cash had seemingly disappeared. And at first I thought, well, maybe they spent it on drugs, right? But Mm -hmm. the amount of cash they had was a lot, like I said, And I'm sure they probably spent some of that money on drugs, but all of it, I can't imagine them spending in one night $20,000 on drugs. Well, I wonder how many, how much 30 pills of that shit that Sid was on would cost. I mean, probably not 20 grand, but probably not cheap either. Probably not. Now, we will talk more about the money later. So stick a pin in your brain because it it does, Mm -hmm. it does come back. So Sid was arrested and held at Rikers Island, where he was put in the drug detox ward. His -hmm. first hearing was held on October 21st, 1978. Malcolm McLaren would fly in from London, and his mother, Anne Beverly, would also be there in attendance. And Sid was released on a $58,000 bail provided by Malcolm McLaren and Virgin Records. Mm -hmm. Sid would go out that night to Max's Kansas City, and friends who saw him that evening noted that he was obviously not in a good state, so duh. <laughs> Who would be? Right? Right. On October 23rd, Sid would try to end his life by cutting his wrists, and he was sent to Bellevue Hospital, where he then tried to jump out a window stating, I want to be with my Nancy. Oh, wow. 
After this incident, he was moved to the New York Presbyterian Westchester Behavioral Health Center, and he was subsequently mm-hmm. released from there on November 26, 1978. Hmm. On November 28th, Sid would give his last recorded interview to journalist Bernard Clark. Sid claims his goal in life during this interview, Sid claims his golden goal in life was to have fun. When asked if he was having fun right now, he responded with, are you kidding me? No, I'm not having fun. He was asked where he would like to be. And he said, under the ground. Oh, wow. Yeah. In the same interview, when asked about Nancy's death, he told the interviewer it was meant to happen. Nancy always said she would die before she was 21, which is something that her mom writes about in the book, that Nancy always said she wouldn't make 21. Wow. Yeah. And if you remember, she was 20 years old when this happened. So So young. On December 7th, 1978, Sid would spend the night out with friends at a disco club called Hurrah's. While at the club, there would be an altercation in which Sid would assault the brother of Patty Smith, Todd Smith, with a broken bottle during a little scuffle they were having. Hmm. Sid, uh, Sid's bail was revoked after this, and he was arrested on assault charges on December 12th and sent back to Rikers Island. Surprisingly, he was again released on $10,000 bail, paid for by Virgin Records again, and shockingly, even less bail restrictions than before. Weird. And the judge would go on to suggest that he not attend any nightclubs from this point on. It's just a suggestion. Yeah. Not like a ban, but just a suggestion. It's a suggestion. Uh, So after completing a detox program, Sid was totally clean for the first time in God knows how long. And he was released on February 1st, 1979, into the care of his mother and his new girlfriend, Michelle Robinson. Uh, Excuse me. By the way, he started dating in November. Whoa. For somebody so devoted. I just found it weird. Yeah, I mean. Now, Michelle Robinson was a known groupie of SIDS and the Sex Pistols and was actually a friend of both him and Nancy prior to Nancy's death. What a trifling hoe. (laughs) Well, she was known to have a similar look and attitude to Nancy. um, And some sources report that she had also just lost a partner due to a drug overdose shortly before entering into the relationship with SIDS. So she, maybe they got together as like a way to support one another and to okay. kind of fill a I void she's yeah. she's not trifling but like kind of because she's she was nancy's friend yeah now she was a just starting out actress so not really a lot oh. um and she lived on 63 bank street in greenwich village when sid was released from prison michelle and sid's mother um arranged a small getting out of jail party for sid at michelle's apartment hmm. Although it wasn't so much a party, really, as it was a gathering of, like, four people who were coming and going throughout the night, and they were just doing drugs together. So, Mm, Great. After Sid's release that day, he would run into photographer and friend Peter Gravel. Peter alleges that he was the one who got the heroin for Sid after his release and delivered the drugs to Michelle Robinson's apartment. According to some... Yeah, yeah. According to some sources, the heroin that Gravel brought to the apartment that night was 98% proof, which I don't know what that means, Ooh. but I'm sure it will kill you. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty strong to me. Yeah. I, don't, I also don't know what it means, but it sounds yeah. strong. Now, remember, Sid had fully detoxed by this point. Fully. Oh, come on. So after yeah. doing one hit, he started to pass out and turn blue. Thankfully, oh, at this shit. point, he was revived. 
but later that night he would shoot up again later and this time he wasn't unfortunately wasn't as lucky damn it in an episode of the program the final 24 if you remember that show at all kind of kind of author alan parker would claim that ann beverly was the one that administered the fatal dose of heroin to Sid that night because he was scared of going back to prison. But he later huh? admitted, yeah. So Anne Beverly is Sid's mom, and Alan Parker. Yeah, but he was like, if I give it to myself, I'm uh, guilty of doing drugs. But if you give it to me, no, so I didn't. What they said, what basically they said, is that Sid was asleep and Anne Beverly shot him up, like gave him a hot Why? shot. Let me finish. You'll see. Okay. So Ann Beverly, so this is what Alan Parker claimed that Ann Beverly was the mm-hmm. one that administered the fatal dose to her- of heroin to Sid that night because he was afraid of going back to prison. But he admitted later, because this has been something that many people believed for a very long time. Oh, like she wanted to kill him so that he didn't go he back didn't to prison. He didn't go back to prison. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that and this is something too. that people believed for a very, very long time. Okay, that hmm. his mother gave him, like basically killed like euthanized him. him. Yeah, yeah. However, several years later, on a podcast, Alan Parker would admit that he made that story up to get better ratings and more money. On a okay, I need to dissect this for a second. So on he a was, podcast. What so year is this? So the final twenty four came out. I'm not sure which year. I don't know what year that episode came out. But on 2018, Alan Parker went on a podcast and said, remember that episode of the final 24? Well, when I said that thing about Ann Beverly, I lied because I wanted more money and it would get the show better ratings. What a stupid bitch. Like he literally, he lied for like 30 years to get ratings. I don't think it was 30 on years. Sid's mother. It was probably more like 10 years, but I don't get it either. I don't understand why. I, I mean, it, the integrity there. Oh, I, I just, I don't know. I hate him so much. Um, Sid's death was ultimately ruled an accidental overdose. He was just 21 years old, a mere child. Wow. I'm sorry. I know you're legally an adult at 21, but, but you're, like, you're a mere child. You're barely an mm-hmm. adult. After her son's death, Aunt Beverly stated that she found an apparent suicide pack in the pocket of his jeans. The note <gasps> in his jeans... It read, we had a death pack. I have to keep my half of the bargain. Please bury me next to my baby. Bury me in my leather jacket, jeans, and motorcycle boots. Goodbye. So punk. Literally, Romeo, Juliet. Yeah. Now, his mother, Anne, would ask Deborah Spungen if Sid could be buried with Nancy, but was told no by her mother, because at this point, Deborah would have been under the belief that Sid had murdered her daughter. So reasonable, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think. Of and course, yes. Not satisfied with this answer, Anne would end up hopping a fence in the cemetery where Nancy was buried and sprinkle Sid's ashes over Nancy's grave, stating, now they are finally together. Um, His mom's a badass, I'm just going to say. <laughs> it's kind of disrespectful. The family has told you no. Just honor it. I know, but like his mom knows she he didn't murder her, so like I know. Fuck you! I'm honoring my son. I'm on both sides of the fence here. Yeah, and oh, I get. I understand Nancy's like family's point, but like his mom's still a badass for doing it. One of the reasons, and this might be a controversial opinion to have, but my opinion is is that they're both dead. Who is it hurting? 
the living relatives, right? Is the only people that we're really thinking of. So I don't know. Like I said, I'm in the middle. I'm in a gray area in the middle. Both families have Mm -hmm. equal point, valid points to me, I think. But Mm -hmm. uh, anyways, after Sid's death, the NYPD would close Nancy's case, considering the murder solved, naming Sid as their guy. He was the murderer. Case closed. Never cleared of his name. However, was this actually the case? It might not be. I don't know. And I'll tell you some reasons why people think it might not be. Now, these are theories of what could have happened. They are not what anyone knows happened. Nobody right. knows what right, happened. Right, right. These are just theories. This is the best part. Speculation. Yes. <laughs> uh, we are not detectives or psychic mediums. These are just different theories that I was able to find while looking up things in this case. No. Although, has anyone ever thought about getting a psychic medium to solve this crime? Because that is something I want to get into. The Long Island medium. What's her name? Remember her? Nancy. No. Uh, Teresa. Is it Nancy? Teresa. Nancy. Yeah. It's not Nancy. So close. (laughs) So close. You're very close. Um, So, (laughs) of course, the first theory in this case is the one that the police have gone with and most people go with. Sid killed nancy now Mm -hmm. despite their devotion to one another their relationship was volatile many witnesses come forward saying that nancy herself has said that Uh, a friend had claimed to have seen sid beat nancy with a guitar at one point as well as hold Mm -hmm. a knife to her throat on a different occasion they were both Mm -hmm. drug addicts who were desperate for a fix on that night and what if nancy used sid's drugs or something like that and he killed her in a fit of rage i mean possible Nancy was known to be aggressive. Perhaps Sid was consumed with anger during an argument and snapped, stabbing her in a crime of passion sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And Nancy's mother in particular, in a radio interview that she did, she's mostly in this camp with that particular theory there, um, because she said that she knew better than anyone how Nancy could push someone to the absolute edge of getting violent with her. And she could see that in their state with sit on so many drugs that he could have just got violent and then went that step over the line and killed her. Just stabbed her up. Yeah. Damn it. Now, could it be the suicide pact that Nancy asked and Nancy had asked Sid to kill her? And so he did. And maybe Sid thought that the 32 and alls would kill him, but it didn't work, which is why Sid attempted to take his own life at least twice after he was arrested. Wow. 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 That theory holds up. Yeah. With the amount of drugs that Sid was on, it would take, it would have been very difficult for him to wake up and kill someone and go back to sleep. So maybe another theory that came out was maybe Sid stabbed her and he was so out of it, like did it in his sleep almost. So it wasn't like he was mm. awake, right? Like he was like sleepwalking and fucking killed her. I but don't like, think that's what happened, like but that's, it's just like, yeah. something to that mention. That amount of drugs, like you're not sleepwalking, you're in a coma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stop it. So the next theory, you're right, is Rocket's Red Glare. Now, a little Mm -hmm. history on Rockets. He was an actor and a comedian and had small roles in films throughout the 70s and 80s. Uh, Just in case you're interested, he played poker player number one in Stranger Than Paradise and motel Uh, clerk in the Tom Hanks movie Big. I'm 100% looking that up. Yep. Yep. You've heard of him? Okay. Uh, Rockets had a very... I've not heard of him. No, I've watched Big. There's no... I've not heard of Rockets in this hotel no well but. his name would be he would be credited as michael mora as motel clerk and not tom hanks movie big 
So okay, we'll, I'm gonna look we'll it up. To, we'll have to watch him. Uh, so mm-hmm. Rockets had a very difficult life right from the get-go. He was born to a 15-year-old drug addict mother and was subsequently subsequently born addicted to drugs. Yeah, it's 15, cl- damn. Yeah. It's claimed that his baby formula needed to be mixed with methadone in order to wean him off of drugs as an infant. Oh, my gosh. Sad. Ooh, child. Yeah. yeah. After his father, was, who was allegedly a career criminal and involved in the mafia, was deported what? to Italy, what? his mother... Uh, remarried to a former boxer who often physically abused both him and his mother and he would eventually murder rocket's mother by beating her to death stop it yeah this is a whole other story we could get into that's a whole other i was just gonna say yeah so just to give you some insight into who rockets is here uh he had a really tough life later in life he would go on to be a roadie for billy joel's band the hassles before becoming sid's bodyguard Mm -hmm. or minder as he's referred to in some sources and sid mm-hmm. definitely needed somebody to mind him that's for sure certainly did on the night of nancy's murder rockets was one of the several people to attend the so-called party that was taking place in room 100 that night again it wasn't so much a party as it was people coming and going nancy had been flashing around a lot of cash like i said and it's speculated by phil strongman in the book pretty vacant a history of punk that rockets returned after everyone else had left to find sid passed out on the bed thinking Mm -hmm. that sid was dead he decided to steal the money that nancy had been showing off earlier this is when potentially nancy caught him in the act and we know nancy if we know anything about nancy if she was gonna beat your ass up I was going to say, if she found somebody's trying to steal her shit, whether it was a stick of lipstick or $20,000 cash, they're going to get their ass beat. She was not going to let mm-hmm. them get away with it. And no. what's speculated here is that she confronted Rockets and he reacted by killing her. Now, Damn. thinking that he would be leaving Nancy dead and Sid dead, because he thought Sid was dead on the bed from a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. He thought he would get away with this scot-free. Of course, Sid wasn't dead and went awake the next morning believing that he, in fact, had killed his own girlfriend and couldn't remember it. So Rockets always denied having any involvement in Nancy's murder in the press. Yeah, why wouldn't he? But acquaintances of uh, of Red Glare said that he later confessed and bragged about being the one who killed Nancy that night. No way. Some that he told this to took him at his word. However, many close to him have said that he was known for spinning tall tall tales and believe that he was lying about being involved just for attention however we'll never truly know because in 2001 rockets died due to complication caused by complications caused by alcohol and drug use so so the last theory here that i have if you remember Mm -hmm. the mystery man take your pin out of your brain Mm -hmm. yep He's Michael. described, Michael is described as being a blonde haired kid. No one, not a, like a little kid, but like a younger guy. And no like one knew his last name. Cover, right? Yeah. No one knew his name or his last name. Sorry. He was Nancy's friend and he lived on the sixth floor with a group of actors. Now, Steve hmm. Dior, who was part of the band that played with Sid in New York, mm-hmm. he drew a composite sketch of him which I will include in the Instagram photos, just in case anyone knows him. Michael Love apparently, it. yeah. Michael apparently went to room 100 that night with Ned Van Zant, another actor in Chelsea Hotel Rosenham. After mm-hmm. leaving the room and heading back upstairs, he apparently told people, hey, guess what? Nancy's in a body bag. Sid killed her. 
he also showed what? up. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like the story is very, I don't believe the story whatsoever. I don't believe it happened at all. But this is just one thing that people have said. Yeah. He had also showed up upstairs with a bunch of cash covered in blood tied up with Nancy's purple hair tie. Mm-mm. Apparently, the so-called Michael left the Chelsea Hotel shortly afterwards and was never seen again. This man oh, shit. has never officially been identified. No shit. Yeah. I don't know if I believe it. I mean, it sounds a little easy. Yeah. Like, oh, some man came, stole his, her money, and sh- murdered her, and then yeah. dipped. Like, some random cool. dude. Yeah, no, I don't believe mm-hmm. that. So now the very last one is that Nancy killed herself. So it's also possible that Nancy could have killed herself. She may have been trying to harm herself as a means of getting Sid's attention, something she was known to do. Um, from an article on biography.com referencing Nancy's attention-seeking behavior, while on set for the rock and roll swindle, when she did leave the room, recalled director Julian, or sorry, when Sid left the room, recalled director Julian Temple, Nancy made sure to remind him of the error of his ways. I remember coming back one day and she'd cut her wrists. There was blood all over the bed and she'd faked up a suicide attempt to really make Sid feel that he shouldn't leave her even for a few hours to do any filming. The fuck? Maybe Nancy stabbed herself in order to send a message and dying was simply an accident. Okay, so where was, you said the stab wound was in her abdomen? Yes, so she could have stabbed herself in the abdomen, basically. Yeah, and that could be marked as an accident because, like, who's going to, who'd think you would die from an abdomen? So, like. I think that would be an easy one to die from, don't you? Well, I just mean, like, if you're going to stab someone, you're going to, like, aim for the heart or the neck or something, right? Yeah. Now. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was established that it took roughly three hours for Nancy to succumb to her injury. Oh, so if girl. she purposely harmed herself, if she intentionally harmed herself, I should say, this would explain why the usually very loud, assertive Nancy didn't run down the halls of the Chelsea Hotel screaming that someone had stopped her. Because you would think, even if it was <gasps> Sid that stopped her, that she'd yeah. be running around being like, Sid stabbed me. Like, you know? I mean, Hopefully, like, the adrenaline would let her, but what if she was just so injured that, you know, like, she stumbled to the bathroom but right. and wasn't able to get up? Right. I, oh, gosh. It's hard to say. Oh. It really is. No, my God. And whatever the case may be, we will sadly most likely never have all the answers to what happened to Nancy in room 100 that night, as nope. anyone who nope. could I... give us those answers have sadly died. Everyone. Yeah, I'm doing a seance. I need answers. Yeah. It's happening. It seems as though Nancy will never get the justice that she deserves, but the death of both her and Sid would make them rock and roll legends, and their popularity and infamy would carry on long after their deaths, as we know. Mm-hmm. So, some of the things, some of the aftermath and legacies that have happened since they've passed away is Mm -hmm. the 1986 film Sin and Nancy which was directed by Alex Cox, would hit theaters it was was not the greatest film of all time, although I loved it when I was younger, but this researching this case has ruined the movie for me because as we know, Sin and Nancy were very young they were 20 and 21 Mm -hmm. now Gary Oldman and Chloe Webb play Sin and Nancy, they look like they're 35 in this film (laughs) I'm I yeah I've only seen pictures of the film so I'm surprised that they were actually so young 
Yeah. So, and I think that's what makes people think that they were maybe thinks that they were a lot older than they were, or maybe people know, but they're mm-hmm. not really right now Putting because it it's together. so fresh in my mind. It's like, I, I just said, like I said, I used to love Sin and Nancy, the movie, but after researching this, I'm like, ugh. The movie itself uh, wasn't very accurate. And hmm. even with that, though, it has turned into a cult classic. It has a huge following of people yeah. that just love it, right? So, yeah. and fun fact, Anne Beverly would give Gary Oldman Sid's iconic padlock and chain. You know how Sid always had the chain with the, the padlock on it? Uh, that was oh. actually Sid's uh, necklace that he oh, wore. Cool. That Gary Oldman wore in the film. Another fun fact, that chain in the movie was depicted as Nancy giving that to Sid and saying, like, oh, we'll always be together now. This is permanent. That's not actually where that necklace came from. That chain actually belonged to uh, Chrissy Hind. <laughs> and she <laughs> let Sid take it. She had bought it to, like, tie up her or to, like, chain up her bike or something like that. And mm-hmm. she didn't need it anymore. And Sid took it and put it on and never took it off again. So That is a fun fact. Thank you for sharing. That is a fun fact. Yes um so another legacy or fact of something that happened after their deaths after a lengthy court battle against malcolm mclaren the four original pistols and the estate of sid vicious were awarded full control and ownership over the band's entire catalog including the rights to the great rock and roll swindle so in the year 2000 they released their own documentary rebutting the shite that was spewed by McLaren in the rock and great rock and roll swindle. And they called that <laughs> movie, the filth and the fury. Oh, uh, good title. This, yeah. Well, and this is what, so the filth and the fury comes from the daily mirror article after that Bill Grundy interview that they did where they said, mm. the so the filth and the fury is the name of their documentary. Um, in 1996, the sex pistols reunited with Glenn Matlock on base for the filthy loot. Lucre, I don't know how to say this word. Do you? L U C R E. Filthy Lucre. No, <laughs> I don't know how to say this word. I should have looked it up. Where they played as so during this tour, they played as many shows just in this one tour as they did throughout the entire seventies. So good on mm-hmm. them. Wow! Yeah. In two thousand six, the Sex Pistols, along with Sid, were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. However, oh, good. None of the remaining is it though. Just wait. <laughs> Hold your good. <laughs> However, none of the remaining members showed up to the induction ceremony, and John Lydon sent a hilariously insulted, insulting, handwritten letter to explain their absence. Oh no! And I'm going to read it to you because I think it is amazing. Next to the Sex Pistols, rock and roll, and that Hall of Fame is a piss stain. Stop. <laughs> Your museum, urine and wine, we're not coming. (laughs) We're not your monkeys. And so what? Fame at $25,000 if we paid for a table or $15,000 to to squeak up in a gallery goes to a nonprofit organization selling us a load of of old famous congratulations spelled C-O-N-G-R-A-D-U-L-A-T-I-O-N-S. That was spelled. That was misspelled on purpose. If you voted for us, I hope you noted your reasons. You're anonymous as judges, but you're still music industry people. We're not coming. You're not paying attention. Outside the shit stem is a real sex pistol. <laughs> Thank you, Johnny. Wow. I love Johnny Run so much. Wow. I mean, <laughs> considering all of them had talent and they were not rock and roll, I can see where he's coming from. <laughs> well, 
I just love, I love his like brutal honesty. Like we're not coming to your stupid shit thing. The Sex Pistols never wanted to be idols. Never wanted to be these people. Like we we wanted to be something that wasn't mainstream. And you're making us mainstream yeah. again. Fuck off. This is not <laughs> punk. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Over the years, there have been various famous couples who have paid homage to Sid and Nancy. In the music video for the Foo Fighters song Everlong, Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins would dress as Sid and Nancy. Oh. In 2021, Travis Barker and Kourtney Kardashian famously dressed as the couple for Halloween to mm-hmm. mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yep. I mean, it was just like... Five months ago. <laughs> Here's one you might not know. Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog did a photo shoot dressed as Sid and Nancy in the 90s. I love this that. This photo was never public. It was never publicly released. It was kind of cut from the issue that it was going into, but surfaced when the photographer later posted it on his blog. So thank you. I love it. Yeah. Okay, you probably know these people. I didn't, but I think they're from a real housewife. Harry Hamlin mm-hmm. and Lisa Rinna. You know them? I remember this episode. Yes, of course I know them. Yeah. Harry Hamlin, of course we know that. (laughs) Dressed as Sid and Nancy, Hamlin chose to wear a red t-shirt with a swastika on the front to get that authentic Sid Vicious look. However, Mm -hmm. this angered a lot of people who were offended by Mm -hmm. the anti-Semitic symbol. Now, in his defense, Sid did wear that shirt. He wore that shirt to um, take away the meaning behind it. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, Harry, though, come on, man. Use some better judgment. I, mean, I don't know what yeah, you did this, but I mean, I'm sure it was at a time where social media would crucify you yeah. for ever doing something like that. So I remember it was never on the show, but I remember seeing like posts about it. He probably, if it was on the show, he probably had his coat zipped up at the party. Oh, maybe then. There was one. I remember her dressed as Nancy. Yeah. Now, Lisa mm-hmm. Rinna later issued a public apology via Instagram stating that if I hurt you, we were being authentic to the characters of Sid and Nancy for our ho- Halloween costumes. It hurt and ma- angered many of you, and we are deeply sorry for that. That was never mm-hmm. our intention. We did not mean to offend. With love, Lisa and Harry. And one last couple we're going to talk about here is my favorite. Nelson Muntz and Lisa Simpson. <laughs> they portrayed the couple in a 2008 episode of The Simpsons entitled Love Springfield Style. Super cute. The Sex Pistols are also in that episode. Hmm. Now, this is where we're going to end things. But before we leave, I want to leave you with a little bit well, more. Sorry. Hold, hold on. You forgot the most important legacy of all. What's um, that? I believe you had a cat named Sid Vicious. <gasps> I did have a cat. Submissions. I forgot. Thank you for reminding me. Forget Sid. Yes, he is the most. I'll post a picture of Sid Vicious the cat. He is, you know, when I was eighteen, I got him, and he was a little fucker. I'm telling you, he, he was, was a little so fucker. Li- I remember he was tiny little kitten, and I remember him being under the blankets um, on my bed while I was trying to go to sleep, and he was biting my toes. All That's all I ever long. did, I swear. Every time I came over, bite your feet. Like, and, off, Sid. Oh, my God. He was so old. He died just a couple of years ago. He was so old, and he was my dad's best, best friend. I'm telling you, by the time Aww. he went, my dad just loved little Sid Vicious. And we called him Sid B. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to post, <laughs> post a little picture of him. I love him. <laughs> I can't believe you forgot about him. I totally did. I didn't. Well, because I'm thinking, like, you know, people, everybody knows who dressed as these people. 
not my cat, mm-hmm. but yes, I do have to remember that Sid Vicious was named for Sid Vicious. <laughs> Aw, thank you for reminding me. You're welcome. Uh, now, before we part ways tonight, I would like to leave you with yet even more of Sid Vicious's writings about Nancy. Now, I'm going to read you two things. The following are both taken from letters that Sid wrote to Nancy's mother after uh, Nancy's death. They're just parts of the letters, not the whole thing, because the letters are quite long. So Mm -hmm. the first one says, oh, Debbie, I love her with such passion. Every day is agony without her. I know now that it's possible to die from a broken heart, because when you love someone as much as we loved each other, they become fundamental to your existence. So I will die soon, Mm -hmm. even if I don't kill myself. I guess you could say that I'm pining for her. I could live without food or water longer than I'm going to survive without Nancy. Oh, it's heartbreaking. And then he did write a poem about Nancy and sent it to her mother. And it's just called Nancy. You were my little baby girl and I shared all your fears. Such joy to hold you in my arms and kiss away your tears. But now you're gone. Mm -hmm. There's only pain and nothing I can do. And I don't want to live this life if I can't live for you. To my beautiful baby girl, our love will never die. Sid. So cute. Now, there's a line in this poem called that says, and I don't want to live this life. And that, my friends, is the name of Deborah Spungen's book. So the name, the title of her book came from this poem that Sid wrote to her. No way. Yes. Wow. And she said it was just it, that line in the poem moved her. And it was just something that she thought was really fitting for both of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, Nancy's and and Sid. So, yeah, it's oh. nice. So, guys, that is the story of Sid and Nancy. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it wasn't too much overload of information for you, but that is it. It was just the perfect amount of information. Thank you, Erica. And you know what? I have been in my car listening to Nevermind the Bollocks nonstop, plus other like. Sex Pistols tunes and B-sides and and all of that in my car every day and just to stay in the mindset for this podcast, for these episodes. So, yeah, I've been feeling like I'm 18 again and want to party. I want to go jump in a mosh pit and get the shit kicked out of me for no reason and say it was fun. And you will quickly remember that you are 37. (laughs) You want to come with me, Rachel? (laughs) Just forget about it. Absolutely not. Okay. (laughs) I mean, which one? Where? Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at StoryCrimePod. Send me an email at StoryCrimePod at gmail.com. And if you want to buy us a coffee, I'll put the link in the uh, show notes down there. And uh, just buy us a coffee. Sometimes I put like, as a post, like documentaries I've watched. Because I watch a lot of documentaries on true crime. So if you guys are ever interested in recommendations, check out our Buy Us a Coffee page in the link below. And you can read about documentaries I've seen lately. <laughs> ice coffee? Can we change it to Buy Us an Ice Coffee now? Since it's no, like but you summer? can do Buy Us a Beer or Buy Us a Pizza. Oh. I know you don't oh, like beer. Great. Now we're talking. Let's start with coffee. <laughs> we'll start with coffee. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everyone. We love you. And thank you for tuning in. And we've got, I've got some good episodes on the roster coming up. So Ooh, I can't stay wait. tuned. Stay tuned. And uh, take care. Thank you for listening. Yes. Bye. Bye.